0: Hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Amazingly, uh, Season 6 is here, my friends, and today we're going to spend a little time in the intro. Uh, we're just going to catch you up on uh, a few things that are going on in the world of Skippers. First of all, Skipper Stand-Up is returning September 3rd, 2016, at the Anaheim Brewery. Come see many Skippers telling jokes, drinking beer, and having a fantastic time. For more information, just search Skipper Show on Facebook or on Google for more information. Now, the even bigger news, the thing that's taken us a year to get to this point, is that we are just four days away from the launch of our second Kickstarter, King of the Skippers. Uh, oh boy, is it going to be a much bigger campaign. We've got amazing stretch goals, and we're doing cool new backer rewards every Friday during the campaign. The card game is a casual four to eight player game for ages 10 and up, and has fantastic jungle-inspired art. This is going to be a fun campaign, and the game is only $8 each deck before shipping. So exciting. It's going to be a perfect holiday gift uh, for the Skipper lovers in your life. Find us starting August 26, 2016 on Kickstarter. Just search King of the Skippers, or over on Facebook, you can find out all the information at facebook.com slash junglecruise, C-R-E-W-S. Not only do you get a fantastic game and more fantastic games in the future, but these Kickstarters are also helping you get more Jungle Cruise podcast goodness as the years go by. It's one of the few ways we can make a couple extra dollars to make sure the show continues. We have lots uh, going on as usual over on the Facebook site for updates on the new card game, jungle history and photos, and a wonderful home on the web for skippers and lovers of the Jungle Cruise. Now today's show, today's episode of Skippertainment is with Skipper Matt Gambino. Matt was a Walt Disney World skipper who has now turned his skipper skills into doing corporate seminars and workshops. He's a charming skip who really took the experience and ran with it. We have a lot of fun leading off our first interview of our sixth season with him. So, okay, here we go, season six, episode two, as we present our interview with Skipper Matt Gambino in an episode we like to call The Curse of Super Successful Sean. Kungaloosh, everyone. to the thing and the show and this stuff.
1: Well, thank you. I uh, I appreciate being here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, of course. Any questions before we get rocking and rolling? I don't think so. I'm excited. Yeah, you've, you've heard the show? I have not. Real Okay. Well, uh, I'll give you the, the short nickel and dime about it. Okay. Uh, we have been running for, you're the first guest of our sixth year. Wow. Um, we've had 137 skippers on. Uh, mm-hmm. Running somewhere around 1. 1.6, 1. 1.7 million downloads. So, no kidding. Um, yeah, we uh, there's a lot of people who are interested in Disney in general, but I mean, you know, Jungle has its own very specific um, appeal because obviously, day one, and it is the best ride at the uh, at the park. So,
1: what inspired you to uh, to do the podcast
0: well it's funny we had someone who was going out of town uh i like how you flip this this is very clever of you uh, you could have a host in, in investigative journalism uh, <laughs> job there um no we, we had a skip who i worked with who uh was very uh well loved by everyone in our, my generation and he was going out of town and i had just picked up this microphone that would allow you to record directly onto an iphone but do it at extremely high quality uh, which at the time there wasn't anything really out there for compression mics on a mobile. Uh, so yeah, so I sat down with him and the audio quality was terrible, but we told the stories about nine 11 mm-hmm. and about the response of the skippers at that time. Uh, I was over at DCA. Um, so i really hadn't become part of the fraternity yet, but mm-hmm. in hearing uh, these two skips telling their stories about how people came together and how, you know, it became this family, and, 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 uh, you know, everyone was over into of these houses comforting them, and, uh, the tone and pushing through and the, the weeks after that to make sure that the guests had an amazing experience. And I realized that there were stories that every single person who's worked on the ride, um, had that really should be preserved. The, the side effect of that was that, I realize that all these other rides may have had stories as well, but they just weren't as good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no one wants. No one really is that interested in the the Splash Mountain history or the. Uh, There's something about the way skippers are personality-wise, the people who carry it as a badge, and the way they are with uh, their friends and family, and also whether it's at Walt Disney World, whether it's at Tokyo, uh, Hong Kong, any of the the Jungle. It really is the same. Basic kind of person. It's very strange that, uh, regardless of the generation, skippers are skippers.
1: It really speaks a lot, I think, to the culture. Yeah. And there's a million questions that I would love to ask you, but that would be, um, I think, uh, diametrically opposed to the purpose of of your podcast. Uh, well, but maybe no, we can do that no, another no, time. No.
0: I mean, honestly, uh, you know, I I don't mind being a little introspective. We can bounce them back and forth a little bit, and. do that thing that high school uh you know lovers do on the phone late at night we can exchange questions back and forth so uh so my uh, the most important one uh, what what's your favorite uh class in school and what's your favorite color because that's a classic high school question right that's okay you don't have to actually answer that one never mind Uh, english and blue yes well let's get to the basic mac gambino welcome uh welcome to the program the tales from the jungle cruise podcast uh as I said, ep- uh, episode one of our sixth season. So you're leading off. You're in the the number one batting position. I'm uh, honored
1: to. I'm honored to have it, Kyle.
0: And you are a Walt Disney World uh, veteran, shall we say?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay. And uh, what what brought you to working? Like, what was the inspiration for you for working uh, for Disney? In the spring of 1990,
1: my f- my very best friend, who. Um, is a super successful person, and his name is Sean, so I'll just call him Super Successful Sean.
0: Alliteration is always a a good mark. Isn't that good? good? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I wasn't even planning on that. But Super Successful Sean has been a a wonderful friend of mine for most of my life, and what I'll say is that um, I'm a believer that imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, and I've had the honor to be able to observe him do things that I would never think to do. And the, you know, one example would be uh, when he was 19 years old, going on 20 in 1990, he had found out about the Walt Disney World College program in Florida and decided to apply and ended up getting a position working at the friendship boats in Epcot. So, Uh, That spring semester, I went and visited him and had a great time and was able to, you know, take a look uh, through at at Walt Disney World, really through another lens, through his lens. And I I was immediately intrigued and captivated by the whole program and how they reached out to college students to give them the opportunity to work there. So just like a lot of other things I think I've done in life, I've, uh, you know, I've sort of aped Sean's uh, success And a year later, uh, in 1991, I did the same thing through my college in Massachusetts and was very fortunate to be accepted into the program. And, you know, what I found out later after having started in the position, I found that I was the luckiest person in the world to be able to uh, have won, first of all, an attractions host position, which was, which are, you know, the, you know, probably the most, probably, Arguably the most popular category of position um, that you could get on the college program, but the, I was thrilled to get for sure. I mean, the
0: most of all. I mean, position.
1: it was funny. Um, as part of my interview to get into the position, uh, I had to identify the three main categories of of jobs that I wanted and I was strategic about it so the number one job that I put was food and beverage because working through high school and college I did a lot of job I did a lot of work in restaurants and so I use that as a way I said look you know I there there may be some experiences that I might be able to bring and help with Disney based on you know my background so I'll put that as number 1 number 2 I put as an attractions host and then number 3 I put as custodial because Kyle I really wanted to get into Disney so I was like I'll get in any way I want any way I can my sense is custodial probably isn't the most sought after category of position so I'll put that in and I'd be happy to do it mm-hmm. I was thrilled after you know, doing the interview and getting accepted, learning that I was accepted as an attractions host. And, um, when I began in the position, well, when I got there and went through the, the regular college internship, all I knew I was going to, is that I was going to be working on an attraction. I didn't know which one. And I was just elated when I found out that I had been, um, chosen to work on the jungle cruise. Yeah.
0: You know, it's funny. Um, on the unfortunate side of, was not everyone were able to really get together and, and, uh, record or put them on the show, and I met someone um, who had done uh, a college program in Walt Disney World, I want to say, like, early aughts, maybe late late 90s, and mm-hmm. uh, he had the same conundrum when he's going through, and he's, like, filling out the, you know, which which position would you like, and he put um, Director of Operations Walt Disney World, uh, <laughs> Lead Animator Disney Studios, <laughs> Jungle Cruise Attraction Host. And no kidding, He that's impressed great. them so much that they made him head of the studio, and so that... No, they <laughs> they put that it out. is a that's a great story though. That's fabulous. So, um, so when you came in, were you um, did you already have an effervescent personality? Uh, I mean, had had your extroverted side uh, was it there from day one, or did you bloom while you were at the jungle?
1: I would say a little bit of both. I've um, what's really interesting, I think, about what I you know the way my personality and and the way I've conducted myself is that I find that I am much better working in front of a crowd than I am one-on-one, which you're probably seeing sort of in a painful way, you and I talking right now. But I've always enjoyed being in front of a crowd. Um, So getting the Jungle Cruise position to me felt like a perfect fit. Um, what What I'll also say is having had the opportunity to work in the jungle and be a skipper, something immediately became very, very apparent to me. And that was that I was not as good, as good in front of a crowd as I really thought I was and that I was giving myself credit for. And the reason why that, you know, the reason why I felt that was I was able to meet all sorts of just wonderful, talented guys on that, uh, on that ride, on that attraction. So it was, it was a little bit bittersweet. You know, on the one hand, it was introspective. And I was like, wow. I think I've got a lot to learn in terms of how to you know, work an audience. But uh, what I also did was just form such solid relationships and learn so much from my, my colleagues, the other folks who were, who were skippers. And I think that that helped me to become even more um, or to have an even higher ability to work in front of a group and to, to make them happy.
0: And to roll it back slightly, when you when you found out where you were working, Um, how much did you lord it over super successful Sean that he was just working some silly friendship boats in Epcot, but you were going to be a Jungle Cruise skipper? Well, that's a a great question. So here's what I'll
1: say. First of all, what's interesting, and you probably already know this, but uh, at least when when you work at Walt Disney World through the college program, believe it or not, the Jungle Cruise is the one position, this is my understanding anyway, the Jungle Cruise is the one position that you may be selected to do, but if you're selected to do it, you still don't automatically get it. You still have to audition for it, which is, which is unique about any position that you get in the college program. So in other words, if I had gotten, let's say, um, Pirates or Haunted Mansion, it would have been on the piece of paper and I would have started training on it and I would have gotten it. The Jungle Cruise was different. In the Jungle Cruise, you know, first day we put on all we put on our costumes. Me and the other guys who had, uh, you know, from the, the college program who got that position, and I still remember being in an office only once. It was an office and a part of the, you know, a part of the uh, of the um, of the facility I had never been in before, and I would and I and I was never invited back. But I remember we went into this hallway. It had a little red couch on it. We all sat on the couch and we had a script, and it was the spiel or a portion of the spiel. And one by one, we were called into an office and we were asked to read from the, read from the spiel. So I auditioned and after about it – was, it was fairly quick. I would say I spieled for maybe a minute before they just said, okay, thank you. And th- th- right then and there, they said, you'll be fine. And my sense is they were looking for you know, a strong voice and a fairly strong personality. So that was interesting that, you know, you, I just didn't get automatically put into the position. I had to jump through one sort of small hoop of fire to do it. As it relates to my sh- my friend, um it's a great question that you ask because there was a real sort of balance around who got the more impressive position. So why do I say that? The way you put it, you know, silly friendship boats, that's a that's that's a, a fair point of view. What he could say to me is like listen, Matt, at least my boat isn't on a track. I actually have to learn how to how to uh how to navigate a boat that it doesn't have the safety of uh of being on an underwater on an underwater track. so I think we both had some bragging rights just in different ways
0: so when you um you know you get through the interview and you get through your little mini interview and you you get into training, uh, one thing I've heard pretty consistently is that the number of college uh program people on jungle is much smaller of a percentage than at other attractions was that the way it was in the 90s i'm not so sure that i could comment on that accurately it it, it's because i've heard at times it's a handful
1: i mean it's you know yeah well it would it would make sense one of the things you know it i would put um i would put haunted mansion in the same category haunted mansion being the only attraction at Walt Disney World where you're not supposed to smile in fact you're encouraged not to smile and I remember that was a very small group um, I I can't I can't comment you know I can say that it was a handful what I don't know is that if every other ride sure. had a handful I don't know how that disbursement happened but I would like to think that they um just by the virtue of having a, a small audition process it probably didn't have as wide open a gate as the other attractions. It's probably fair to say that we were in the sort of a, a smaller part of the ecosystem than the other than yeah. the other rides.
0: Had you had some background? Had you had you been as a guest and and?
1: Yeah, I had been as a I had been a guest a couple times as a, as a young kid. And what was really interesting and thrilling to me about getting that particular ride was I had had I had had experience on it, so I knew it was funny, and I knew that those guys. And you'll remember back in 91 when I worked there, it was only uh, males who could work on the ride. Females mm-hmm. didn't work on that ride, which is sort of interesting. I know that's changed. So it was kind of a guy's club. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. even being younger, going with my, my family, I remember going on the Jungle Cruise and being like, this is a little bit left of center of the other rides that I'm seeing. These guys are having fun and they've got sort of a sort of a gentleman's code that they're working through, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, in the course of my college, you know, when I was going to college, I um, you know, thought that my career path might take me in the entertainment industry. And I've done a lot of stand-up comedy and I did a lot of stand-up comedy when I was in college, which again is probably you're probably thinking, you, you gotta be kidding. You were doing stand up comedy. But I, I did that quite a bit in Boston when I was in college. So um one of the things that really, you know, made me happy and thrilled me about getting the Jungle Cruise position was like, wow, I'll be able to sort of tweak that gland that i have in terms of you know wanting to be funny and wanting to be humorous and bring in my own personality to a ride that really encourages that so for me it was a perfect fit but i have to chalk it up probably more to good fortune and luck than anything else
0: Yeah, the problem we've had some really great stand-up comedians on the show people who've made a career out of it there's two or three skips that um that are full-time stand-ups and that's what Mm -hmm. they do for a living and they've uh uh, definitely set the bar way higher than i could even it's like i'm a smurf in the the high jump uh, uh activity at the the olympics but no it's you know if there's anything that's that's been good it's that i've i've interviewed a hundred and some skippers and i know how not funny i am and mm. that that self-knowledge is important knowing that you're not good enough to do something really helps you prepare for it
1: well and that's probably one thing i would say a lot of stand up <laughs> comics do share there's a there's a bit of self-loathing that i think helps us to um You know, to survive up there and sometimes thrive up there. So I think it's all good. That's great, Kyle.
0: Have you still done some? uh,
1: some I I haven't. I mean, it's. I'm able to. I'm able to have an outlet in the work that I do. So I have my own company um, where I help people with uh, presentation skills training, particularly around selling, sales presentations, selling skills, that sort of thing. I was in Toronto. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, just doing a big workshop for, um, uh, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of young salespeople and part of my engagement was a 90 minute keynote and that's, you know, meant to be, you know, more, more or less motivational. My humor comes through. So if, if I were in front of a, a therapist, the therapist would probably say, well, you know, if you're unhappy about not doing comedy. That probably doesn't make much sense because you 're getting a comedic outlet just in the work that you do yeah. on a regular basis, so i I'm in a good place I, I would see myself in the future doing it again, that of course you know demands some time, as you say, writing you well, know writing just getting
0: back in the mode is hard yeah. you know
1: it's not it just doesn't happen. you probably know that better yeah. than most so there's there's a time commitment and um i I love doing it, and I love being up there I, I should say that I, I loved being up there when I did it, but it's not lost on me the um the the effort that it takes to do a, to do a good job and and right now i'm I'm happy enough getting that outlet just in the regular work that I do.
0: yeah you know it's funny that one of the things that I run into is that after you know a hundred some hours of doing this podcast, you know i I have to check myself on have I told stories before? Because, you know, I'll get someone on who I haven't talked to and, you know, like I've told Michael Jackson stories in the Tiki Room. You know, mm-hmm. I've told Rebecca Remain Stamos coming on the boats. I mean, it, yeah. I, I have to watch it because there's been some stories I've probably told three or four or five times. But I'm reminded of a story I haven't told that's not Disney related that that you reminded me of. We used to do corporate training with the improv group that I had started when I was doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. and we would get hired to do shows obviously, but we would get, uh, we would do things like, um, uh, public speaking for high schools. We would teach kids how to be more confident. And we did businesses where we would work with call centers and, you know, be actors and we would take the part cause it, in, uh, in the Northwest, there wasn't a huge base of people that you could do that with. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, whatever bank you know, we would call and we would be fake customers, and they'd walk us through the transaction. We'd train their people. Yeah. So Cox Cable, which is Comcast, Time Warner style cable company, uh, had hired us to train their installers, but it was a blind training. They didn't know they were being trained. So they, we got a house and rented it. We set up actors to go into the house and to play the parts, and we all of their new people would come in and we would, you know, role play it. Well, we had this one very attractive, like mid thirties mom who really was put together. I mean, just, you know, someone had the right blueprints when they, when they put her, I I guess the term you would use now is milf. She was a very attractive mid to late thirties lady. And, um, she had this idea during training, to try to distract the guy and she was wearing like a negligee, not anything immodest, but definitely was a little, you know, racy. Mm -hmm. So, um, we had this, this brand new installer came out, we had a couple little hidden cameras so we could coach it afterwards. And uh, he was just ex-military, had just gotten out. He was in buff shape. She goes to the door. She says hi to him. His eyes, you know, his jaw drops. He does the yeah. text Avery. So he's like, oh, can I use the restroom? And she made some flirty little comment. And so she sits on the couch a little bit, you know, laid, decked out. He comes out of the bathroom directly in front of the, the hidden camera wearing only his tool belt. No, you're, you're kidding me. No, absolutely. He thought that she was the, uh, you know, the pizza delivery woman, porn star fantasy that, that, you know, is out there in the culture. And he thought she was hitting on him and that he would get some easy, uh, easy loving out of it. So we have this video, he got fired immediately. We yeah. Had this, we had this video of this guy coming out, his tools and tool belt all ablaze and she just sat on the couch laughing and oh my you could just God. see you could just see something was like you know he was breaking inside for how uh, how that had hit him so yeah so corporate training it has a downside it has some yeah. interesting stories <laughs> well or an upside i mean that that is the most fabulous story i've heard in a long time yeah uh so let's chat let's go back to the jungle side of things so um do you remember your training and uh your first couple times out in the boats is that was there was there an impact, like a moment that hit you, where you went, "Hey, this is the thing I'm doing"?
1: Yeah, and um, it, it was probably driven by fear more than anything else, as um, all as all good things in the world are, aren't they? <laughs> it's amazing. So my study habits in school were non-existent. What I what I did and what I still do because I have to in the course of the work that I do now. There's a lot of um, you know a lot of memorization with regard to presentations, giving certain presentations that I give keynote speeches. Um, I am not a studier, so, you know, uh, without asking you where you lean politically, I could say, you know, one of the things that that I'm intrigued by right now is is waiting for the end of September, for example, when Donald Trump is going to be giving his debate. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, is Donald Trump balancing out his practice? And in other words, is he spending an hour, an hour and a half, two hours every day preparing for the debate, or is he the type of guy who's just not going to even think about it? for whatever reason until like, you know, the 11th hour and then try to like cram stuff in and, and, and get by. I am displeased to say that I am like the latter when it comes to my study habits and preparing for things. So even in school, I would, if I had a test, I wouldn't even think about it. I always had something better to do. And then probably three o'clock in the morning the day before, I would try to cram it all in my head. Mm-hmm. The good news for me is I've got a reasonably good short-term memory. I can, I can, You know, jam some stuff in there, and uh, you know, and then articulate it out. I can remember training for the Jungle Cruise and um, and going through that exact exercise. I can remember sitting on my bed, Vista Way Apartments, which is where they put you up then in the early nineties on the college program. Sitting on the edge of the bed, the morning of my first day of training, where I was expected to have known the spiel. Mm -hmm. So they, the way I recollect it. We got the spiel. We had a few days to learn and memorize the spiel, and then we were going to be training, um, you know, for the next week with a skipper, with a lead. And but we were expected not to bring the the spiel with us. We had to know it. And I can remember just a few hours before that morning, just you know, sitting on the bed, thinking to myself, "What have I done? I I can't get all twenty one pages in my head." <laughs> And there was just a real, a real panic that I had. But fortunately, uh, the way the training went, I was able to, um, you know, sort of segment out the, you know, the, the, the training of it. So, you know, you do, you know, kind of Schweitzer and you get that part down. And it was almost like the first day it was like the way that my skipper, I remember Gordon was my lead. He, you know, wanted to make sure that I had Schweitzer completely down. Right, and then the next day we would like focus on the next part, and then the next day we would focus on the next part. So I would say that it was very fair based. Um, but as soon as I was on that boat, just Gordon and myself, and I was on that microphone, and I was learning how to load the gun, and you know, back then it was a real revolver. I'm sure you know that too. Um, you know, with real blanks. Uh, that's when it hit me. I'm like, wow, this is in you know, in my mind, it was entertaining. And it was, and I was, I was, I was an entertainer. However, that was quickly squashed. I mean, one of the things that I remember vividly that they really pounded into, you know, our heads, um, in that position was like, look, you are not the center of attention as much as you think you would like to be. The ride is not you. You are the facilitator. The ride is the animation behind you. The ride is the water. The ride is the jungle. The ride is the animatronics. The ride is that sort of thing. So, don't, it was, it was almost like a don't get too big for your britches sort of thing. Now, of course, all of us dismiss that entirely, and everyone has their own style. And I was able to use my own style, and I loved it. Um, but during that training process, it did, it did hit me. And, and certainly, I think it happened more when I was on that boat by myself that it was like, holy Moses, like this is, this is put up or shut up. In a couple days, this boat's going to be filled with 30, 32 people, and I've got to be able to uh, perform.
0: You know, it's funny, I, one of the things that I, uh, have realized that over time that's interesting is, uh, you know, under labor law, uh, you know, they're supposed to pay you for the time that you're in training, but it seems like everyone I know got handed a script and was told, here, go home and memorize this. <laughs> So what and that, I, and that what yeah, and I can't, what
1: I, I can't recall. I mean, it was a quarter century ago. I don't know if I made the requisite five fifty an hour for that, or yeah, see, whether you know, I was on I'm my own.
0: Class action, class action lawsuit. We yeah, let's. Need to
1: get yeah, we could band together. I'm sure there's a lawyer out there who would be happy to do the research.
0: So the, um, you know, the the ninety, the early nineties was one of those interesting times with Disney because Disney had started being cool again. Uh, you know they they were coming out at that point of like the Disney afternoon, uh, you know Ducktales and, and it, the Disney stores had gotten out there back in, into the the world. Right. Um, and I know that you know the '80s were not the best attendance time for for Orlando, but I know '90s they were starting to to click. Was it uh, exciting and busy during that summer? I mean, was it? Uh, do you do you remember you know the 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 vibe as far as the the feel of your working there?
1: Here's what I'll say. I, I can't comment as much on the busyness. I mean, it was spring semester 91. So I worked from January to May. That, of course, is going to be a big, you know, that that's a big time, of course, you know, February vacation, Easter, all that. So we worked some serious crowds. But here's what was really interesting, Kyle. This was 91. We were in the throes of uh, invading uh, Iraq with the yeah. whole Kuwait thing. Yeah. So there was a, um, what. what I would say was that, The the guests that were at Disney, I would like to think, were coming to get a brief time out and check out from the reality of the war that we were involved in. And that felt good to me. Mm -hmm. It felt good that I was, you know, helping people for, you know, take a, a brief vacation from, you know, not only their work and their everyday lives but some of the harsher realities of what we were going through as a country. And I felt I felt really good about that. I would like to think that the, you know, the overall temperature and, you know, the happiness quotient was high mm-hmm. because people felt like, you know, they were in a really good place at a time that was not such a really good time. Yep.
0: Oh yeah, and it, the economy was t- tough at that point and uh did you um uh, were there any moments i, I know it 's only a you know four or five month window, mm. but did you have any specific boats or any specific um, uh, you know memorable experiences that when someone asks you about working at the jungle cruise it 's your go to story <laughs> uh
1: there's a couple um if you uh if you're interested, I can give you a couple things that stick out in my mind that i I certainly you know pressed on um you know, within well, the next 10 it, years it, after either that out. or
0: political politics. And I think that it's far more interesting to hear stories. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll absolutely. Go with that. Yeah.
1: So what was interesting was the very first live, and you probably remember in, in, in a, in a real interesting way, your very first live spiel, your very first live boat. That was s- sort of, uh, what's, what's the, it was a surreal feeling because mm-hmm. There was intense nervousness and there was this intense um, obsession on getting everything right. My first live but bo- I should say this was my first live boat without a lead. It was just me and the guests, yeah. right? So it's almost like babysitting 30 people for the first time. So it's funny, your time-space continuum gets a little bit messed up and your ability to absorb stuff that's happening right in front of you, I think, gets lost when you're that Nervous and worried about getting everything right. So I did my first boat and I did, a—I would say, a reasonably good job. I was just happy to have done it without messing it up, right? Uh, stalling the boat, anything like that. So I figured it was a win. When the boat was unloading, uh, the skipper who was unloading the, uh, the, the front of the boat, after he lets the last um, guest off, pokes his head in and he goes, do you know who that was not just left the boat? I said, who? He goes, that was Crocodile Dundee. I said, what? <laughs> he said, that was Paul Hogan. He was on your boat and he was right up front. He was sitting next to you the entire time. So uh, interesting claim to think. Crocodile Dundee was, you know, within spitting distance of me for, what is it, 10, 12 minutes. And I was so nervous that I, I, didn't, even, uh, I didn't even see it.
0: I, I guess the positive is he didn't tell you in the middle of your spiel, that's not a joke. This is a joke. Hey, I would like to say I I would like to say that um
1: in some sort of weird way his being on my boat inspired the terrible Crocodile Dundee 3 in LA. Which I think takes place in sort of a theme park, if I recollect correctly. I
0: I have uh, either blocked that from my memory. You're probably
1: one of the tens of millions who is not given that movie the time of day.
0: You know, and and I think we can continue that. I don't think we need to. uh,
1: (laughs) There is no need for that movie. I have to to be honest, I never saw it either. But I know that it was universally panned. And I remember watching one of the previews for it. And like he pulls his knife and like has a fight with a big animatronic snake in a, in a Los Angeles theme park. So I,
0: I, I may have to go back now. I, yeah, I, I, will, I, I you may will instrumental this instrumental
1: in his career.
0: Matt, you will ruin, you will rue this day that you uh, made me go back and watch that movie because now I have to do it. <laughs> I, I blame you for all of the, the awfulness that will come in my life now because of that. So I've got a ton of,
1: now one other, one other quick story that I thought was really interesting is that, um, Another another college program, Skip, <clears throat> you know, on my program, who I didn't know previous to Disney. He was from another part of the country. He was a really good guy, and he decided that he wanted to break the record for um, Uninterrupted spieling and ended up breaking that record. It was like he, you
0: Which know. Which it he, seems like everyone, not only, I, I love that, that there is this somehow this continuation of this record when I think every generation I've heard has a different... Uh, is it an urban is it an urban legend is I, it an urban myth is. or is there
1: really a is there really a record
0: I, I did a, I did 8 hours plus a few trips where it was uh in the boat uninterrupted so i mean i think a lot of people have done those those runs of you know uh you know uh 40 something trips 40 42 48 whatever it is on like an 8 hour i mean Obviously. Yeah, he may he may have been over
1: dramatizing it, but I remember, you know, toward the end of the evening when he had been doing it for hours and hours and hours, I ended up getting on one of his boats and uh watching him and and again, he may have been sort of doing this on purpose for effect, but he was he sounded a little loopy and you know was sort of saying like, ah, oh, who cares? Like when he would come to a particular joke, you know, that he didn't want to tell, he'd say, Oh, who cares about that? Stuff like that. But um, you know, he was uh he 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 had our attention for the day. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I uh one of the things that I I've heard regularly is I'll have someone from the you know recent generation who's like, yeah, we came up with this really great joke idea and uh, we really like it, and then uh, no one's ever done it before. And then I'll talk to someone from the '90s who's like, yeah, this really great idea for a joke, and here's how it goes. And I think we're the first ones to ever do it. And then I'll talk to someone from Walt Disney World from the '70s who'll done it. It's um. There really is nothing new under the sun
1: uh it's- no i would i would i would probably uh i would say that that's right i mean what was really interesting was your s o p jokes and your non s o p jokes and you know being on the college program you know i would you know forge relationships with with skips who were full time and who had been full time for a while and it was almost uh you know it was almost like working on a fishing boat you know where you you go in almost like your apprentice you don't know what the heck you're doing and an old timer takes you aside to show you sort of the best way to you know to 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 you know gut a fish or something like that it's kind of the same thing i have an old timer you know you didn't hear this from me but here's something that you could say when you get to the uh you know when you get to the ruins before the before the tunnel or whatever here's what we say but you didn't hear it from me um you know i i'll, I'll say that i was a big offender of telling non-sop jokes that was a big part of of what i did and um, when when leads uh, were on, you know, safari. Do they call? It, do they still call it being on safari? When yeah, 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 yeah. Although there's
0: not a, as much of it as they're used to. Not being. as much
1: of that. So I, I did, you know, I, I did get a verbal, you know, warning for, you know, for telling non-SOP jokes, and it's kind of funny in and of itself. You know, I'm getting a sitting down and a talking to for, uh, you know, for, for, and they they sort of give you the shorthand of the joke that you told. And they try to make it sound serious. Like, oh, I, I heard you talk about you know uh, you know I, I hate to tell you, Matt, but we we caught you telling the you know the monorail joke. Can't have that. So we're giving you a verbal warning. You know what I mean? The whole thing is sort of ridiculous, but uh, yeah. but it uh, the, you know those things certainly stick out.
0: Well, there's there's really there's two types of non-SOP jokes. There's the ones that are in the spirit of the jungle, which are usually pun based. Mm-hmm. Just honestly there are things that either used to be in the script at one point or someone comes up with a really good pun or a turn of the phrase I've never had an issue with anyone who is in the spirit of the jungle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when the outside pop culture references, you know, take right. their way in and that's really much more of a of an issue for me is when you break the show scene and really, you know, tell jokes of things that don't really fit with everything.
1: Yeah, I I would agree and that, you know, of course that 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 can open up a whole world of hurt in a bunch of different ways. If there's no reins on, mm-hmm. on you know, if there, if there are no fence posts around the types of jokes that you're telling, it can it can go awfully wrong. But I would agree. I mean, if you're keeping within the spirit of the of the park and the theme of the park and all that, like I can remember, you know, Gordon would say, you know, something about uh, there were. Uh, I think there the, 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 oh, over there we can see some lions on the rocks. Please don't take them for granted or something like that. Non SOP. Maybe it had been SOP back in the day, but, uh, you know, certainly in the spirit of the of the park. And to me, it was pretty innocuous. And I liked it. I thought it was funny.
0: And I do have to say, by the way, that uh, Lions on the Rocks is the worst thing to order at a African uh, bar. It's just <laughs> generally not something that's going to work well. Exactly. Exactly. It was a fun time. It
1: was a special time in my life, even though it was a brief a, a brief moment, mm-hmm. um, it, it had a trailing effect for me sure. working well, there.
0: And let's talk about, I mean, were you, were you a pun based skip? I think a lot of skips are, are very heavy on, you know, the way they tell puns. Was that your, your gig or were you more, uh... no, I was, I probably was more
1: sarcastic and edgy. You wouldn't hear it in my voice now. It was actually working at Disney was, was part of this, but, um, before and during, uh, working at Walt Disney World, I had a very, very heavy Boston accent. And, the, and I was sort of known for it in, you know, in the living arrangement with all the other college kids, but even on the Jungle Cruise, you know, so the other, particularly the older uh, skips, you know, the full-time skips, they would, you know, you know trying, to, trying to nail a Boston accent is difficult, just ask, you know, John Ratzenberger. But they would try to nail it. I was sort of known for it. So I, um, I emphasized it. <clears throat> and so it was more of a, I took more of a sort of a a, a Boston accent kind of southy sort of edgy uh, sarcasm to my uh, to my it wasn't it wasn't the uh, a more of a goofy pun based. It was more of a, uh, you know, more of a Northeastern sort of fish out of water city person in the jungle kind of attitude sure
0: well and the reason i ask you is because uh, you know the, one of the joys of facebook is getting to do a quick stalk before you interview someone mm-hmm. i was going to ask you did did your time at the jungle cruise influence you more with your work and the motivation or did it influence you more as a father because i think we all know that the jungle cruise is the root of all dad jokes <laughs> that's true <laughs> so so where where did the skill set that you came out of the jungle cruise with where did it where did it impact your life more well i um i'm probably not
1: the biggest fan of myself i i I find myself to be highly critical of myself and one of the ways that that manifests is sometimes i worry that i become different things to different people some so much to the extent i'm like wow who is matt Gambino? you know what i mean Um, So the answer to your question is really both and in different ways. So like I said before, working in the jungle had a, a profound impact, I think, on my career because it helped me to fine tune a lot of the things about my personality that helped me. Uh, be successful working in front of people, and eventually being able to do that full time. So in that way, I would say it, it really uh, it it had a, a positive impact on my on my work life. But I can be different things for different people. I have a five year old son, and I am enormously goofy, almost embarrassingly goofy and funny with him. And a lot of that I would say gets taken from working in the working in the jungle as well, where you don't once you once you understand, or I can say this about myself. Once I understood my spiel, once I understood my style, once I understood how I could connect with an audience, uh, my fear went away, and I could become uh, someone very, very, very different you know, to, to help, you know, entertain and, and make people happy. And I'm able to do that with my son. I'm not so sure that I would do it as well with my son if I didn't have that experience in the Jungle Cruise.
0: Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, and, and, you know, I've always argued that humor is the best way to to communicate a message to people you don't know. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when, you're, when, when I've done training, when I've done group talks, uh, you know, I've, I've done photography teaching now for the last... Oh. Almost ten years, where I, I uh, you know, I'm teaching basics of photography or whatever it is. Humor is always the thing that gets through the quickest when it's people I don't know, yeah. uh, and I, I credit that entirely. I think the jungle was was huge. You know, I looked at what I, the length of time that I was there was five years, and of course other attractions, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, I it's, it was over a million people in the boats, and you think about any other job you can have that you're seeing. You know, a couple is hundred. that is no kidding? Is that right? I mean, is have you been able to calculate? Oh, that? yeah, yeah. No, I did the math, it was well over a million people I 48 per boat, you know, uh, three trips per hour, eight hours per day, not counting all the overtime, not you know, and then take out wow. for parade ships or Indy or Lincoln or wherever else I was at. But yeah, it's it, uh, it's a solidly huge number. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with the podcast, it amazes I mean, I love that we've had as much, uh, Downloads as we've had I mean, a million and a half downloads, kind of, you know, makes me crazy because it's a, uh, you know, sixty million minutes or ninety million minutes of yeah. podcast. I mean, it's, it's
1: yeah,
0: awesome and strange and and all those. What's
1: things. What's your? What, I mean, what what are in in five years? You have a, a much broader canvas to paint from than I do. But in the five years that you worked on the the Jungle Cruise, what would you say is the um, the event that sticks out the most that uh that you like to to think about and remember
0: um, you know it's funny i the thing that I like doing most at disney um and I incorporated the jungle into it, but I'm mean, Disney University and training on- uh on board hires was one of the most fulfilling things I did with the park. Mm-hmm. I did university for a, a year plus and it was uh one of the biggest growth experiences for me. Um, but specifically jungle related, um, it was, uh, it's kind of a bigger story. I think it was the fact I, I came in 10 years older. I was 30 when I started at jungle, so I wasn't part of the kids group mm-hmm. so, and I wasn't the old guys who've been there forever group. Yeah. Um, so between that and the podcast, it really, it really taught me a different level of humility and communication. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really had to to take my sense of self and really kind of go, you know what, my ego, I'm not actually that important, but I, I, I don't have to be the center of attention. I don't have to, and it was a long, a long battle to, to whack that into my head, but it really ultimately changed me for the better.
1: Um, as far and as you had already, and you had already had a foundation of experience working yeah. at Disney with culture and everything. Yeah. So
0: no. And before, be- before that I was a regional manager in the carpet industry and I had, you know, a hundred some stores that I managed and 500 employees that were, you know, I worked with. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, um, it was interesting. from one corporate culture to another. Um, I, I think my fa- one of my favorite, you know, boat stories is, you know, we, uh, we had ducks everywhere, uh, in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we came back from our mess hall and I had a dinner roll in my pocket. And I'm like, well, we had a little bit of a downtime. I'll feed the duck. So I ripped off a little bit of it and I threw it at the duck who was facing away mm-hmm. into the jungle and went right next to him. And the thing just didn't even pay attention at all to the bread. Yeah. So everyone in the boat, of course, sees me doing this now. So I take a little bit bigger piece of bread and I'm determined that I'm going to to feed this duck in front of the guest. So I throw another piece, like right, like almost bounces off its bill and no acknowledgement <laughs> yeah. at all that there is this. So I'm just like – all right, that's it. Here's the whole roll. And I threw and I totally missed and whacked it on the back of the head. And the duck fell over backwards unconscious into the water. And what? I, I, it wasn't, like, knocked out. I think it was just surprised because it started yeah. flapping around and, and jumping around. Um, but I think the fact that I had all the kids on the boat tell me that I killed a duck, with, with one of the Disney bread rolls is is kind of one of those traumatic things that sticks in with me that, um, that, that almost warrants a uh, a written warning yeah. my gosh. uh we brought in we brought in i mean there's so many stories i I'll, I'll let you you know I'm sure that
1: uh well I thought you were going to um yeah I thought you were going in a different direction with that duck story because after i uh, after I met the woman who would later become my wife, one of the first trips we ended up taking was to Walt Disney World. And of course, you know I had to take her to the Jungle Cruise. And by,
0: by the way, I caught your Boston accent on that. Of course, just so you know, oh, that. was that right? That's the word. That's the word you haven't beaten out of your system yet.
1: Yeah, some people think that I. Uh, it 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 it. When I get really tired, and sometimes when I've had a little too many, that's when it starts it's, to, it's to come the, out. The, I haven't the, I haven't conquered everything yet.
0: Yeah, the Boston it's spelling of that word is c a w r s e. Well. Uh, So, that duck story,
1: was this Disneyland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so at Walt Disney World, when I took my wife to the park and we went to the Jungle Cruise, we were waiting in the queue, and she pointed at a duck on the river, and she said, what's wrong with that duck, Matt? And I said, it's made of wood. She thought that the duck was a real duck, and I had to tell her that it was a it was a wooden duck. I thought you were going to say that you threw a roll thinking that this duck just wasn't paying well. attention to you. Although I, I realized was... that it was a, that it was a fake bird.
0: Yeah, I did. I, uh, I think I would have noticed that they would have installed wooden ducks at the, uh, next to the dock while we were sitting there, uh, a, a little, yeah, I know. We've got observant.
1: I can't have my wife. I just threw my wife
0: under the bus. No, uh, no, no, no. You didn't. You you made yourself sound bad, and that's really what I'm <laughs> hanging it on. When I was, we went down to Walt Disney World in '05 or '06, and um, so we were there and uh, standing kind of off the side, and uh, the girl who I was seeing who went down with me was like. Yeah, and she had a hot dog in her hand, and she made a comment about something like, you know, you really don't want to uh, have your food out like that here in Orlando. And she's like, why? And at that exact moment, a seagull came down and ripped the hot dog out of her hand.
1: Oh, my God. Like
0: within three seconds of me saying that. She had had it like off to the side. Of course, being a podcast, no one can see my hand gesture. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, know, the seagulls in, in Orlando are just brutal. They are uh, vicious mobsters. We'll put a hit on you. <laughs> they uh, they will take your food in a heartbeat. When was the last time you were down in Orlando? Uh
1: let's see, February of last what are we, twenty sixteen? Was mm-hmm. it February of twenty fifteen? I think it was February of twenty fifteen or fourteen. I it's yeah. it's amazing. I can't remember, but I my my wife and my son and I went down and stayed at uh Animal Kingdom.
0: So the uh uh, I'm assuming, of course, you went back on the jungle because, you know... We
1: Absolutely. Get it, we
0: get it in our blood and we can't really get it out. Um, yeah. That was where I realized that the guns have changed. Yeah, and they're not... And Anaheim is still the, uh, the blanks. The
1: real, med- the real deal? The real deal. Yeah.
0: They have stayed currently, and I I, I know there's always going to be a constant struggle in this climate to take them out because there's no guns else anywhere else in the park. The only places are the shooting gallery and... Um, and jungle they've taken like the little pop guns out of all the stores they've they've, uh they've made all of the futuristic laser blasters look bubbly and Mm -hmm. shaped differently there's no more gun shapes so yeah you know i'm sure that there's a uh a push on the corporate side to change them over and uh, I, i think the only real defense is that they're a signaling device for emergencies yeah. So hopefully that's enough to keep them there because it'd be a shame if they left again. I I was there when they had pulled them the first time, uh, and they were air horns. We had air horns for emergencies. And oh no, kidding! I didn't know really, that. Really ruined the vibe of the uh, of the attraction. So yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I mean, of course you don't have anything to compare it to, um, because that's what we were introduced to. And just like saying before, there's I, I looked at the Jungle Cruise as being its own very unique culture club. And in the 90s, like I said, it was just a bunch of guys and they, you know, I think lived by a bit of a different code. I would like to think a little bit a bit of a different code than the others and then the other attractions. And, um, you know, to, to be blunt, I, I think just, you know, sort of like, you know, having a piece and scaring hippos off mm-hmm. was part of that. You know, like one, one of the most interesting things I think about working on the ride was... When I did it, you would spiel, spiel, dock, dock, break. Spiel, spiel, dock, dock, break. So when I was between two spiels, after when the boat's letting out and I'm in the queue to get my next load of guests in, you know, I'm I'm loading the gun. (laughs) You know, and I thought that that was just a real sort of, wow, what other what other position? Uh, would I have where, you know, one of the things I've got to do is load a gun every time I'm done uh, in, with. Uh, in, in
0: front of a, in front of a, a line of people where. In, uh, yeah.
1: In front of children yeah. with uh, Donald Duck hats Yeah. It's interesting.
0: The, um, did, did you, have you maintained any friendships at all from your college program days? Some of my
1: very best friends are from my college program days.
0: Okay. That, that's great. I mean, 25 years ago, that's rare, I think, in the, the pre-Facebook era. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm,
1: I'm It's, it's interesting. Uh, my, my friend Jay, um, who was, you know, from Colorado, working in the college program when I was there, he never left, never went back to school. He's now a producer. He's actually in Shanghai, uh, producing a video. He's a video producer for, you know, advertisements and internal training and, uh, you know, marketing. So he's overseas, you know, and in country all the time just making these really, really impressive videos about Disney. Um, So he was there for the Hong Kong opening for about six weeks and did a lot of stuff. And he and I were in Vegas uh, in March with another friend who we met on the program, Stu. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to say that I have forged some real relationships that – have survived into the Facebook age, and thank God for Facebook because now there's a way to connect with all of those folks that I worked with. What there's a there's a bunch of. Um, do you ever watch? Um, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia.
0: Yes, it's not one that I've ever had the taste for.
1: Okay, well, if you if if you recall any of those episodes, there's a recurring character. He's like he's just obnoxiously good looking, and his name is Rex. He's like a model. He doesn't really say anything. But they bring him in every few episodes because they need a guy without a shirt, and he's just, like, incredibly good-looking. He's been in a bunch of other B-movies. His name is T.J. Hoban. I remember him as Tom Hoban, and Tom Hoban worked in Tomorrowland and Mission to Mars from the jungle when I was there. He and I were really great friends. We continue to be good friends. So... um you know, it's it's interesting to see how you know many of the folks that I, I met and uh, became friends with on that college program, Jungle Cruise, and otherwise, have really gone on to do some very interesting things.
0: I'm trying to find the um, the specific date, and I'm not seeing it. Uh, February, they're going to have a um, open reunion for Jungle Cruise skippers at Walt Disney World. No kidding. Uh, and I think they're expecting two hundred and fifty or three hundred people. So, wow. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can. will see if I can find that. You know
1: who you should talk to, and I can make an introduction for you. Is another good friend of mine that started on the college program, and he actually was a skipper with me. And his name is R.J. Sampson from Texas, and he's uh, he went on and now still performs in Stomp on Broadway. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. If you'd like, I can make an introduction. Yeah, I think absolutely. you'd really get a kick yeah. out of, uh, out of speaking with RJ. He's a, he's a ton of fun and really, um, you know, he was a, he was a wonderful guy and a, and a great talented skipper.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'll try to pass on that info for you for the reunion. It's actually going to be, uh, I know Babs is involved with it and, and some of the long term skippers there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out and hopefully record some podcast episodes and, uh, I'm are you going to be there? I, I'm hoping to. I gotta, I gotta put all the plans together. So there's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, the big thing right now is I'm nine days away from our next jungle card game Kickstarter, uh, huh. which is uh, you know every moment of every day right now for the next ten days is is tied up in that. We're getting all of our promotion together and we're shooting yeah. the videos and it's our second card game and the the first one did okay. This one we're actually really enthusiastic about and we're hoping it'll it'll go you know. Two, three, four thousand three, 4,000 copies. So, wow, that's uh, great. Yeah. So that's where my brain is totally on. Right. A now. Be- so.
1: Best of luck to you on that.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some of the link stuff and some of the best episodes and, oh, um, yeah, this little bit, I'll probably slice, you know, mm-hmm. as I say that, um, so is there a, uh, I guess a, a single message or a single thought that you've got about your time there that, you know, if there's a single lesson, your your uh, little guy is you know college program age, or is about to go work at Disney World and gets the Jungle Cruise. Uh, is there a single piece of advice you'd give to a new skipper, or to you know, if your uh, if your son becomes a Jungle Cruise skipper and honors the legacy? Hmm. Uh, see, I asked the good questions.
1: You did. Yeah, that's a, That is a that is a very good question.
0: Well, here's what I'll say. don't drink the water, number one <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a good one uh, unless you've got a first aid kit handy. I would say to um just like a lot of things in life, but, I, but in life, but I think this really applies very much to the jungle cruise is to be you know one hundred percent grateful and in the moment that you're there and to appreciate every moment that you have being able to work on that special ride, because in my mind um and just judging working there in the early 90s with all these big cheesy video cameras in my face and having old women sort of leave and just say, see you on Jay Leno. Uh, I think that that ride makes just as much as an impact for the guests as it does for us. Mm-hmm. So my my advice to anyone who is fortunate enough to work as a skipper is to be grateful for it and to make the most out of the impact that you're going to have for the people who watch you.
0: Yeah, yeah and it's, it's so easy to be out of the moment. It's so easy to... Uh, you know, and look, I'll never tell a twenty-year-old how to behave because whatever I say will be wrong. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it, especially something that's as limited time with you know the the ability you have. Look, I I've said this before. I would go back in a heartbeat if it wasn't for you know these silly real-world responsibilities like <laughs> yeah. money and time. Yeah. And yeah. The fact that I'd be driving an hour and, you know each way to get there and back. So yeah, yeah.
1: It's, well, I can tell that it's uh, it's it's become. Uh, a real part of your DNA. That's oh, yeah. not a you know. That's obviously not hard to see because you've you know you're devoting you know so much of your time that you do have and your personality and your passion to it. And I really applaud you for the work that you're doing, Kyle. I think you're doing a real special thing because that was a really special place to work, a special place to be, and something to be a part of that I'm really proud of.
0: Well, you know, it's a it's a small media empire, but uh, you know, it's still a media <laughs> so- empire. Much as the Ottoman Empire is still an empire, no, it's not. Um, So yeah. So uh, as we wrap this up, I we started this off. You had some questions for me, and I'm happy uh, to turn this around. What what else is there? Is there anything you would like to know? I also just came back from Disneyland Paris, and uh, just well, yeah, I would love to. I mean, since you've you've obviously
1: you know devoted a lot of your life to. to not making
0: money as I really think not
1: forward, making money yeah. and highlighting this you know this uh, this subculture of of skippers when you reflect on the work that you did at Disneyland being a guest at Walt Disney World you know going to Disney Paris and by uh, note,
0: I, I've actually spieled uh, in Orlando as well when I was out there as a as a skip at Disneyland when I was out there they actually let me uh, take a boat around so that was kind of awesome Oh no, kidding! That's two, great. I've got two rivers on my on my belt now. So
1: let me ask you this: I mean, are you uh, are you recognized for the work that you do by the Disney Corporation?
0: Uh, only in so much as that they're lawyers uh, that we've had discussions the first year, and I haven't heard from them since. So mm-hmm. I, I think that they they ignore me with great prejudice. It's uh it's a good uh, it's a good arrangement.
1: Would they so. be just as happy if you didn't
0: do it? You know what I? I've had a lot of time to think about this, and it's actually there is so much fan culture around Disney mm-hmm. that if they ever really took anyone who wasn't doing anything that was like greatly, you know, outside the terms of your NDAs you sign or something like that, you have to really go out of your way for Disney to come down and put their foot down and say you can't do this. Mm-hmm. You can't have a podcast that celebrates something. Mm-hmm. You can't have a Star Wars podcast. You can't have a Marvel podcast. You know, you can't you know have a recap of these episodes every time we air Agents of Shield. Yeah. The I think we're at a point where as a culture we we like to celebrate and overanalyze and have a a, a part of ownership in our fandoms. Mm-hmm. And I think Disney has learned their lesson, and I think that there were some early things that they did which which burned them as far as the way they handled fans, which is mm-hmm. why they have the D23 celebration right now. Um, you know, I still have good friends uh, at Imagineering and in management at Disneyland and people I've talked to at you know, parks around the world uh, that I have great relationships with, and I, I I try to have a code and an ethic about what I do uh, because I think you have to in anything you do in the world. So I think that there's they anything that's ever been discussed. They know that there's a respect and in general. Look, I'm I'm losing money doing this. If for some reason I was making half a million a year, they might look at me differently. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm a small fry with a very niche podcast that gets you know uh, one one hundredth of the traffic that something like you know Mice Age or something like that gets. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: what's the um, what's the one thing that you've learned about skipperdom and working in the jungle from the work that you do with podcast and meeting other skippers that you didn't know before? And there's probably a lot. So highlight yeah. for me the one uh, thing that's probably the most uh, the most interesting to you.
0: Well, I think it's the one. I think it's one of those things you learn about anything you're involved with. You can't go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get your one summer, whether that summer is five years long or whatever it is. Um, yeah. You know, it is not something that if you go back, the memories you have from that time will not be what it is to you today. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those lessons that I've, I've taken to relationships. Uh, you know, at one point I, I dated an ex for a while and then realized, nope, you only get one summer. Yeah. Um, you know, you get your one opportunity to do the thing you're doing and if you don't appreciate it, it's gone. It, It, it goes right by your window and you are finished. And that's – it's both a sad thing and a wonderful thing because Mm -hmm. if you have the appreciation for the thing you're doing, it's magical. Uh, If you just let it, you know, let it skate by. And so the next time you're up on stage doing your presentation and you look out in the audience of a couple hundred of corporate wonks who are expecting you to to tell them uh, how how they can do better at, you know, cold calling or, uh, you know, you got to look at it and go, you know what? This is a pretty good life. This is a pretty good way of of taking who I am and being that person, uh, and it is a very magical thing. We all have a you know Disney is doing that limited time magic uh, promotion. Mm-hmm. That's their big thing. Uh, life is a very limited time promotion. Uh, we get a very short amount of time, and it's over before you even recognize that it's gone. And if you uh, if you don't take what you love and do it you're missing out on the point
1: i think that's very well said and let me say before we break kyle that you know i first of all i really appreciate having the opportunity to to speak with you and be part of this and two um you probably get told this all the time but you are a wonderful interviewer very easy to speak with put me immediately at ease and that's not um that's not a, that's not easy to do necessarily for someone like me. So I've thoroughly enjoyed our time together and I hope that you can continue to, to do the work that you're doing.
0: Well, and all I have to say is that uh, in general uh, Skype interviews are much better before there's a realization that my interview does not have pants on. And I think that the video <laughs> camera may have changed my, uh, my level of comfort a little bit, uh, maybe for the better. You're a handsome man and that's a good thing. Um, but uh you know, look—it's uh, everyone is fanatical about something. Everyone, you know, sometimes that involves Jodie Foster and President Reagan. Right. But e- everyone has a level of fanaticism and uh, a thing that they love, and it's—I love when we get these uh, uh, the, the people who are harshing on like Pokemon Go, and then I, I look at them like this guy's, giving, this guy's giving my friend crap about Pokemon Go, and then turning around and going to his fantasy football league. Right, right. So, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy football, it's basically the same thing, guy. There's really not a lot there that's, uh, uh, you know, that's different. It's all just yeah. people's fandoms and their loves and whatever that fandom is. You sit back and go, cool, you mm-hmm. got your thing. It's all good. Um, yeah, going to Paris was actually a really uh, revelatory experience for me on the Disney front because mm-hmm. uh, I'd always heard really lousy things about it. And I got to say, it's one of the most. Um, the spirit of Walt, you know, whatever the hell that means. Uh, look, and from having gone to Disney, the Disney Family Museum and Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disneyland Paris is gorgeous. It has so much of the feel of turn of the century America and, and all those little touches that you know would be uh, a positive to, to Walt and the family when they were creating it. It's, it's an amazing park. I'd so, love to go. Yeah, if you ever get a chance, take your son because it is, yeah. it's is—it's a super home run and they've got some great, great rides. And no jungle cruise. No jungle cruise? No jungle cruise. Now, apparently, it doesn't uh, translate well to a guy at the front of the boat with a beret who's chain smoking. Oh. <laughs> Look over there. It is a uh, lion. <laughs> <laughs> the lion is the laziest member of the jungle. It's you could just, like,
1: just insult the hippos. That's yeah,
0: interesting. I don't think that the uh, the French sense of humor really pans well to the uh, the jungle cruise experience. Wow,
1: no kidding.
0: But uh, yeah, no, no. It was an, and then uh, next year, I'm hoping they do uh, do Hong Kong and Tokyo. So,
1: oh, that'd be great. I wish you the best. So
0: yeah, we'll stay in touch. Uh, we got a lot of a lot of fun stuff going on, and I'll uh, yeah, I'll get you the info. I'm sure that if you went to that skipper reunion, you'd see a bunch of people you knew.
1: Yeah, yeah. I uh, that was why I was thinking about RJ because when you mentioned reunion, I want to tell him, and that's when I was thinking, yeah, I got to put you guys in touch. Yeah, yeah send me send me the uh, the information, and you can now consider me a fan of the podcast. Uh, of course, yeah. it took it, it it took me being on it to be a fan of it. Uh, but uh, it's I, fine. I, no, I
0: will. I'll send you a couple of the uh, the. There's a few episodes that are, are stand out that I think are better than the others. But not that yeah. not that every skipper isn't good. But there's just a couple interviews that. Uh, went in ways that had a little more impact. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to. We had a Bill Sullivan who was the, uh, Sully was the director of operations for magic kingdom and for Epcot when they opened. Uh He was a skipper on the 10th day Disneyland was open. Wow. Worked with Walt. That's a good video, a good interview. So yeah, we'll get that all over to you and you can, uh, Pick and choose, and see what you like. So that's great. Well,
1: Kyle, thanks again. I, I, I truly appreciated speaking with you, and hope to be able to speak with you again in the future. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. And if I'm ever up in the the, the the Northeast, I'll definitely. My wife travels a lot for her work with USC, so uh, I find myself in strange places uh, every once in a while. So yeah.
1: Well, hey, vice versa. I travel quite a bit, and um, yep. I'm gonna I'm
0: gonna be I'm gonna be
1: looking very closely at uh, the improv stuff if I can if I can make the time. And work if, if for sure.
0: Hey, if you're in California, I'll buy you a pint. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. Matt, take good care. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. Bye-bye.